Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Femi Pod for episode 87. Of course, I am here with Esther, and this week we have a very special guest with us, all the way from the US, a two times mountain running world champion, Grayson Murphy, otherwise known as Race and Grayson. Grayson had an unusual path to her running success, not growing up as a runner, but a footballer or soccer player to some of you. She didn't find running till a little later in life at university and has now obviously gone on to be one of the best runners in the world actually the best mountain runner in the world. Although Grayson is not only an amazing trail runner, she's also achieved some pretty amazing results on the track and the road. We are so excited to chat to Grayson about her running career, but also her pure passion for the sport and her desire to help more women to be seen in the running space too. Grayson, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Firstly, Grayson, most athletes at your level have been running their entire lives. As we alluded in the intro, that was not the case for you. Can you tell us about your relationship with sport growing up um, and how you ended up not only finding running, but finding how good you were at it as well, or are at it as well? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess growing up, I was always an active kid. I have a twin sister, so we loved being outside and playing sports and We also did a lot of like non-organized sports, like we would just bike around a lot or rollerblade, um, go hiking with our family a lot. And I think we just really liked that. And I kind of fell into soccer slash football at maybe middle school age. um, And that kind of stuck and I really enjoyed it. And I ended up playing one year at university for that, but just kind of after six years of that competitively um it just kind of didn't feel totally like my thing anymore and I was pretty burnt out on the sport and so I transferred to a different university mostly for engineering they had a good engineering program which is what I majored in and then the running was kind of like a side project uh I wanted to be on a team to be active and exercise but I didn't have any other skills and like the only college team you can try and walk onto in those skills is probably the track team so I just emailed the coaches and asked if they'd like be willing to have me or try out and luckily they were and yeah that was kind of like the beginning of it all and I wasn't that great I was like okay I think they could see that there was potential there but like the first couple of weeks of practice, I was definitely one of the slower people on the team because I had no training base. Um, I hadn't run longer than three miles in one time until arriving at that school. So we had a ways to go, but they were great. And my teammates were great too. And they kind of all coached me through it and answered all my questions. And I think between the social element of great teammates and great coaches and then finding like, oh, I, I have a lot of potential in this and the learning curve was so steep. I was kind of hooked and have been ever since so amazing and crazy you have a twin sisters does she run as well she does for fun um not competitively she likes other sports too like right now she's on a flag football team um, American football and 
basketball. She played basketball in college. So she just kind of likes being active too. Do you think having a twin sister, because I have two sisters who are pretty close in age to me, so does Est actually. Do you think having sisters that are close to you in age or, well, your age made you (laughs) so competitive? Yeah, our parents made us separate. um, I think ninth grade, they were like, you have to pick different sports and you're not allowed to play with each other because we were getting way too competitive. So she picked basketball and I picked soccer and that's where the split happened. It's so funny. Yeah, I always think about that. Uh, I think all three of us can agree we're all probably pretty competitive women. <laughs> Do you think starting running later in your life has actually played into your hands? As Esther kind of mentioned, it's quite known that a lot of elite runners start running at a pretty young age. But with your path and looking at how successful you are, do you kind of encourage young people to take the path that you've taken, like starting competitively running in your later teens or early 20s? Oh, yes, um, for sure. I think the breadth of a range of activities that you can do when you're young is great. And I think it's contributed to me not getting injured. I've had like one major injury my whole running career. Um, Haven't broken any bones. Uh, I think that helps with trail running as well, especially with like the plyometrics and just being like a little more athletic on technical terrain. And I contribute that definitely to like soccer and playing sports that require more than one plane of motion to play them. Um, So yeah, I think if I could, I would tell every kid to like not focus on running as long as they can. And Maybe you could say some professional runners like have built an aerobic base over time, but it wasn't like I was inactive. Like I was still an active kid. It just wasn't focused into one activity. And I think that was for me the healthier way to do it. Definitely. Yeah. I wish that I'd known that more. I used to play lacrosse when I was little um, till I was like 14, which is a very American sport. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, but then yeah, hyper focused on running after that. So I think such good advice. Um, stay unspecialized for as long as you can when you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, we read somewhere that your coach, David, once said Grayson is one of the best athletes ever. Part of what makes her a superhero is that she's driven by finding fulfillment and joy in the process. And we've heard you speak about the fact that you decided to do trail running because even though you're an absolute machine on the track, you don't necessarily love it so much. And I totally relate to that. I also didn't enjoy track that much. Um, But I think a lot of athletes at your level don't really even stop and ask themselves, like, is this truly fun? And am I fulfilled by this? Can you talk to us about that mindset and where that drive to chase joy versus like, I don't know, the hyper-competitive track world has come from. Yeah, it's such a great point. Even I have a lot of friends now too where I'm like, are you having fun with this? Because it doesn't seem like you are, but you're still doing it. And I just wonder why. But I think maybe also another benefit that came from not specializing too early was that when I started running, and even now, running is like a relatively new identity for me in comparison to a lot of the other identities I've had throughout my life. Um, So when I think of myself, I think of myself as an athlete, not a runner. And so it doesn't mean I'm pigeonholed in this one activity, especially if it's not like bringing me joy. Um, And I think I realized too, I, my first year out of college, I was on a professional team that 
it wasn't horrible, but it just wasn't very fun. And yeah, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to reach my potential feeling like I'm not really doing what I want to be doing or having fun doing it. Cause I've seen myself when I'm having fun and I do really well. And so there's no way like two plus two equals six in this scenario. Like I need to change something. Um, and it turned out to be true because that was the year I like switched to trails and then won worlds. And then I was like, oh, like this makes more sense. <laughs> That's exactly what I like thought would happen. So it was kind of two pronged, I guess, like self-fulfilling and then the identity piece. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I, I totally agree with you. I always mm-hmm. say to myself, if I like wake up one day and completely hate running and wake up consistently not enjoying it, then I just will stop doing it. But I think it's hard to think about because running is hard and there are days where it's really horrible and I don't completely love it. Like, how do you balance that? Like love and joy and passion for the sport, but also go to a place where it can be really painful. I think with David too, like, especially this year, we've implemented a rule that after a race the next week is like, kind of a down week in the sense that if I don't feel like running that day I won't but I'll go do something else that I enjoy so I really enjoy mountain biking in the summers so usually it has been like the week after races is like mountain bike week and I can just go like train 20 hours but on the mountain bike which I think is like so fun and it mixes it up and um, I did a couple of mountain bike races even this year in a gravel race. So it's just fun to like have other options to keep it fresh and not be so strong held to like you have to run, run or die. Like you can do other activities too and still like be outside and move your body and enjoy things. Yeah. Yeah. That balance is so key. And Speaking of pain, you didn't only win the World Mountain Running Classic distance twice, but you also took part in the VK World Champs. Uh, For those who don't know what a VK is, which this was me, I had no idea, but it is a vertical pursuit where you run a thousand meters in elevation over a very short distance. Sounds completely horrible and very painful. Uh, First, why would you want to do this? And secondly, how do you encourage yourself or what is it about the pain cave that you really enjoy chasing? You know, those are great questions. I don't, during the race, I ask myself, why am I doing this too? Cause it is more painful than anything I think I've ever experienced, like way more painful than any track race I've ever done, which maybe means I'm not running track races. Right. But, um, yeah, it feels like an 800 for like 50 minutes and, I think you kind of have to just go into it knowing that that's what it's going to feel like and not to fight it. And you just kind of have to like accept and settle in and just try and like tolerate it. Um, I was thinking the other day, like an analogy for more for training, but like if you're running like zone five um, in my head, that's kind of like you're putting your hand on a hot flame for as long as you can. And if you're like zone three, like threshold, it feels more like sitting in a sauna for as long as you can like it's uncomfortable but you can tolerate it if you kind of relax that's kind of what the vk is like um the zone three zone five 
yeah. <laughs> oh yeah zone well yeah it starts at zone three and then like by the end you feel like you're at zone six. <laughs> oh my god I'm so yeah intense I can't even imagine <laughs> mentally going to that place I did it my first trail ultra this year and honestly there were times in that race where I was just like why am I doing this this is the most stupid thing I've ever done in my life like sure. can you break down what that VK is actually like what are the thought processes that go through your head because are you actually running not really I mean some of it but some of it gets so steep like you just like can't run it's or if you did it was would be more inefficient than hiking so uh you definitely hike quite a bit and it's a lot of just like breathing I think and like hiking like you're not you're moving that quickly but you're going up so much um and like you can't really make moves it's not like a track or a road race where you can like put in a move on somebody because really it's like just a vo2 max test for everyone to see like who has the best vo2 max and we'll find out at the top um because when you're going that slow and it's so steep you can't really accelerate very easily uh so you kind of go into it just thinking like accepting that it's going to hurt really bad and you're just going to have to run as hard as you can and whatever happens happens which in a way is like kind of relieving because there's fewer expectations I think like you don't have to worry about making moves you just have to go run and see what happens or hike and see what happens yeah it was extremely painful I loved when you compared it to an 800 for 50 minutes I used to that was the race that I would do 800s and I I always joke that I've got like trauma from the 800 because it was yeah. <laughs> so hard so I can't imagine for 50 minutes um good on you are you going to do it again do you think I think so I have like an auto bid for the classic race again because I'll um returning champion so I think it'd be fun to do both um they gave us a day in between the two races this year which was nice so hopefully they do that again in 2025 exciting what we really love about you as an athlete is how vulnerable you are and that's something that we see a lot with the woman amongst our femi community and something that Lids and I have both like lived by since um, our own experiences with mental health and you're really vulnerable about your own mental health Um, you suffer from generalized anxiety disorder which sounds like it can you know potentially impact your running what are some of the pros and cons that come with being an elite athlete who suffers anxiety? Yeah, I think probably a lot of high performers are, it's a double-edged sword. I think probably a lot of people that want to reach like a top level have anxiety and some sort of self-pressure. And I think that's part of what makes them good, but then it can also be their downfall. So kind of recognizing that. And my coach, David, has been, really instructive in helping me realize that too, that it doesn't have to be a debilitating thing. Like it can be something positive about myself too. And just means that like, maybe I will strive to do better and I'm very motivated. But as long as I keep in mind, like don't get over motivated and don't like put yourself in unhealthy positions because you're trying to accomplish the most. Um, So kind of like coming to that realization has been good, but it's taken years of therapy and talking with my coach and living experiences to kind of come to that conclusion in college I had a lot of anxiety about performance um and just like life in general and 
it was a lot of pressure, it felt like. And at times it did ruin races or seasons. And it's been a an evolution. So I think, yeah, if anyone has it, it's probably like can be good, but it definitely takes some work to get through to the good parts. Yeah. So interesting. I feel like a lot of what we see amongst female athletes is the uh, perfectionism attitude, I guess, that a lot of women carry. And whether you're an athlete or not, I think a lot of women feel this need to be constantly showing up as perfectly as possible. Do you think that is kind of related to your approach and I guess your anxiety as well? And again, how does that play into you as an athlete? Yeah, I think for sure. It kind of gives Barbie vibes with like you you're enough as you are and you you shouldn't have to like always be perfect all the time, but I do think that I feel that and I think part of that is socialized as being a woman and you're supposed to be perfect all the time. But again, it's been sometimes it's okay to strive for perfection, I think. Like I want to win worlds and when I was there that was a goal of mine and I would say that that was like a nearly perfect race for me. And I was very happy with it, but I can't do that all the time. I can't have every race being like it's win or it's not perfect. Uh, so I think picking and choosing like when you want to feel that way and then accepting that outside of those times, you're still enough regardless of what happens is nice. And I always have ABC goals for each race. Um, so the A goal is probably like my perfect goal, but then the B and C goals are like, if she hits the fan or like it's raining or I had a bad breakfast or whatever all these things are that I can't control come up like what are the goals I can still strive for and that doesn't mean like I failed today because I still accomplished one of these goals and it keeps me kind of like in the race like in the VK I didn't feel very good so my B goal was to podium or top five if I wasn't going to be able to win and it kept me like engaged in the race instead of spiraling to like oh it's not worth it I should just give up and quit um so kind of having tools I guess to fight the perfectionism and then realizing there's a balance of it's okay to want perfection sometimes but that's not a pressure you should put on yourself that's so interesting and I feel like Esther and I as coaches get asked all the time especially leading into races our athletes are worried like if things don't go to plan what do you do and how do you work through that so we're definitely going to send them that little snippet because I think that's so important to have backup plans of what to fall into if it's going perfectly well yeah I wrote a blog post on I can send you but um that's something I started in college with my college coach and I think he realized too I had a lot of anxiety so I needed like tools to deal with that not only on the start line, but in the race itself. And that seems to have really helped. So good. And speaking of our women, uh, we are all very passionate and driven to create a more equal playing field for women in sport. You seem like you are on the same mission as us. Uh, we heard at the World Champs that the men and women ran together in the marathon distance, but there was no finishing tape for the women's world champ, which is insane. What is it like in trail running for women in 2023? Do you feel like there's equality across the board? Yeah, it's tough. I'm on a couple boards, um, the Professional Trail Running Association. It's a bunch of trail runners, runners got together uh, from all over the world to kind of have a union of sorts, uh, just a voice for us. And a lot of the longer distance, like ultras in particular, have a lot more discrepancy between participation but also um finish line tape even and then time on 
like the live screen or live stream, um, they've noticed that like the men get just a lot more screen time. And it seems like the women are kind of running like a second tier race that no one or the organizers care about less. But then in the shorter distances that I run, I haven't seen that as much. And I'm not totally sure why. Um, Maybe they're slightly more accessible because running a 15K is a lot less daunting than running 100 miles. But yeah, I'm not too sure. I've definitely noticed that though in other races and I'm lucky that it hasn't directly affected me yet. And I've been vocal about some things too. Um, Like I did a bike race this summer and the women, it was a mistake, but they had listed the women's course as like shorter than the men's. And I was like, what, why do I need to be riding a shorter distance? Like it's a bike race. And they were like, oh my gosh, so sorry. Um, So I, I think some people just don't even notice either. And they just kind of think it's okay to be ignorant about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've definitely seen in a lot of marathons when I'm streaming them at home and watching them that you see so much more of the men and it frustrates me so much that they barely even show the woman and they're just as amazing you know doing the same distance and running at their absolute potential I'm like it's just unfair and how are we going to gain more attention for women's sports when we're not even seeing them on our tv screens it's really tough yeah that's the catch 22 for sure what do you think we can do as women runners to kind of progress this conversation and also help make it better for the next generation of young girls? I think it comes from more access or people seeing us running, um, just more eyeballs on the sport. And because that drives the media and then the media attention drives sponsorships and money. And then that's how you get equal things and people make the argument like no one wants to watch the WNBA they just want to watch the NBA but then you can make the argument well we haven't had a chance to watch the WNBA for as many years and they don't get the funding that the NBA gets so there's not as many people that know about it or think it's cool and then on top of that you have a layer of the like feminine socialization that women are lesser than especially women's sports or that for some reason it's less interesting to watch women play basketball than men because they can't throw it as far or jump as high but that's just silly like that doesn't make any sense um so I do think it's kind of a social thing I think it has to start there and the money and media exposure will kind of be like the catalyst for getting more eyeballs and then it will go from there but Mm. yeah definitely it's frustrating when someone uses it uses their argument because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, of course. People don't yeah. watch it as much because it's not on TV. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, viewership is lower. But like, I think the um, Soccer World Cup proved that wrong. So good. Yeah, it's um, very frustrating, that argument. But being proven wrong day in, day out, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned you're quite like vocal about, you know, women's rights and things that you see that, uh, you know, there's inequality or even with like, how open you are about your mental health like where did that come from like why why did you decide to sort of like speak out about these things that you're passionate about I think I've had well to start I've had good parents I feel like that have always fostered like open speaking and treated me like any other person like it didn't matter as a female or male or 
non-binary, whatever I wanted to be, like, they were just like, you matter and you can speak about these things uh, and mental health. And my family is really good about speaking about mental health. So coming from like being really comfortable speaking about it already, um, it only made sense and felt natural to kind of share it online, especially as I started to become more of like a public figure in the running world. Um, like I had a platform that I could use for good for that. And I didn't see a lot of other athletes talking about it. And I think it's better now, but when I graduated college, even five years ago, I felt like not a lot of people were talking about it and how important that was to not only being an athlete, but just being like a healthy human. Um, so I thought, well, there's a like a gap in the market, I guess. And I can fill that because I have no problem speaking about my mental health to anyone. Um, and then the women's thing has been a slower evolution just seeing kind of like the finish line and being exposed to that because in college was not something I really I think in the NCAA it's pretty equal for the most part in running I wouldn't say all sports are like that but running seems to be pretty equal um so then once I got to professional running and that started to become an issue it was a little more interesting and um maybe I'm just comfortable saying like vulnerable things now but it has only brought good things to both me and like the people I've connected with. And luckily I haven't had like a bunch of hate from it. So it's easy to keep doing it. Uh, I can see how it would be hard if that wasn't the case. Do you find it difficult in any situations? Because at the end of the day, sport is political, right? And it, you know, getting selected for teams can be quite political. And I think a lot of athletes can be scared to speak out because they don't want to annoy people um, because they want to be able to make particular teams. Is that something that has ever concerned you as an elite athlete? Um, Not really. I kind of, luckily with like the US teams, those are all selected based on trials. So that's performance only. Um, but like if I was thinking about getting selected for like a sponsor or something. Um, I just try and hold myself to my values and kind of what I think is morally acceptable. And if that prevents me from getting accepted by a sponsor, then I probably don't want to work with that sponsor anyway. If they think that it's like women's rights don't matter, or that mental health isn't important. I don't want to work with you because um, that really goes against like everything I believe in. So that's kind of my viewpoint on it. And luckily, like my sponsors are great. And all the ones I have now are so supportive of that. Um, Saucony sent me flowers because I wasn't feeling good um, just to make sure I'm doing okay. So they're like all just, we want you to be a happy, healthy human. Yeah. This day and age, like if brands aren't really agreeing with that sort of thing, they're just not really going to be around for much longer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> good luck, yeah, good luck. <laughs> um circling back to inequality we are so passionate about you know the lack of knowledge around female physiology and both Liz and I suffered because of that and the coaches we were um being put under not understanding female physiology um the menstrual cycle and sex hormones do you take into account your cycle with your training I don't necessarily alter training, but I keep in mind like where I am in my cycle. So um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that there are times I can't feel like I can't breathe um, about a week out from 
my cycle usually. And so knowing that going into workouts a week before, if that starts to happen, I don't freak out and I'm not panicking and like what's going on or thinking that the world's over and my running career is over. Um, I just remember like this happens and this is part of your cycle. And it's hard because I can't, as a professional, it's harder to like plan races around a cycle. Um, So instead of like changing my training, I just try and like be cognizant of it so that even if it happens on a race day, I'm aware of like usually how I would feel on a day like that and then can kind of like cope with whatever is happening. Yeah, I feel like that's what we speak about all the time is, you know, like the psychological impact it can have on your confidence by not knowing versus like knowing why you haven't done so well or hit certain paces or felt so good in particular workouts and then just like walked away being like, that's fine. I know why that's happened. Just like leave it there and never think about it again. Because I was like, you used to always be like, oh my gosh, I've lost so much fitness. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. Um, and then yeah. I just like overtraining to get back <laughs> to this fitness level that I just like never needed to do anyway. It's, um, yeah, it's amazing once you have the understanding of like how you actually approach your training. Along, I guess, with the lack of this kind of understanding around female physiology, We've also seen so many women athletes being constantly scrutinized about their bodies and the way that they look, especially when it comes to commentary in women's sports. We know that there's no such thing as the perfect running body. It just doesn't exist. Every person who runs has the perfect running body. But have you kind of ever felt the scrutiny in the elite running world? And what's it like in trail running in particular? Yeah, I would say I definitely have seen it in elite running. Um like I've heard coaches refer to you by not only like your time, like, oh, she's a 233 girl, like 233 marathon girl, but also um, she looks fit right now, meaning she looks really lean. And me and my roommate, she's a professional runner too. Um, And we talk about all the time, like it almost feels like the worst compliment you can get is you look strong right now because it implies that you look bigger and for whatever reason we've been told that's not good like you want to look fit you don't want to look strong um and the way that those words get twisted is not great and I think the general public maybe they say that meaning as a genuine compliment but um I think general rule of thumb is it's good not to just comment on people's bodies like that and yeah (laughs) I, I used to be so offended when people would say to me you look strong like I have muscular legs so I would go immediately to like oh no I don't look like a runner like I need to change mm-hmm. the way I look I once had a coach he tried to guess what distance I ran he was like immediately like oh you're definitely a sprinter like you're a strong sprinter and I'm like oh my god I suck at sprinting <laughs> um like I, I'm definitely not like what I am which was a marathon runner you know and it's just so hard when people are constantly judging you by your appearance and connecting your performance to your appearance when actually there's no connection between the two like the way you look has nothing to do with how fast you can run but it's really hard to push back on that I feel like it's just always been that way so yeah yeah it's no fun I think in the trail running community luckily there seems to be a better, I don't know if it's like an idea or just understanding of that. And I think that's why I was partially drawn to trail running in the first place is 
I realized that I had just a lot more in common with trail running people outside of running. Like we had more common interests, um, more common values, more common like political views, even I would say. Um, So I think that's kind of what drew me to that community. And there was less pressure on looking a certain way and more on just the experience. Um, And it's nice in trail running. It's like cross country. So every course is different and even day to day, the courses are different. So no one can refer to you as a 233 girl. Like they can, you just are a runner. Like there's less hierarchy involved, I think, um, and more general respect across competitors than I've experienced on the track or the road and true friendship. Um, Sometimes on the track and the road, I feel like women are so cutthroat and they're just your competitors and they don't want anything to do with you friend-wise and on the trail side like we all get airbnbs together before races and hang out and um it's fun like on the start line with them too like we're there to celebrate each other and not cut each other down and I think that's why I keep going back to trails more than especially track um road falls somewhere in between on the spectrum that's so interesting I wonder like because when my one experience running the trail race that I did this (laughs) I, you know, I felt I went to one of the darkest places I've ever been in a race (laughs) so hard. And I'm like, I wonder in trail running, like everyone knows how hard it is and you're all out there to just survive. Whereas on the road and the track, it's very much just like, who's the fastest? And that's kind of like the end of the story. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's interesting. People are much more like open to like having those relationships and friendships in trail running compared to the other two. Yeah. I see trail running as you have a shared experience when you're doing a trail race it's like you and the terrain is like the experience you're having and then everyone else is having you and terrain so then you all share the you and terrain experience where on the road it feels like it's me and you like I'm against you instead of I'm against the mountain and maybe that just makes it too personal to be able to also be friendly <laughs> but it seems like that's the case because after trail races everyone's like oh my god that was so hard no matter what place you got everyone felt like it was so hard yeah it's so true definitely and I think it's um to do with the clock as well like when you talked about the marathon you know being 233 or whatever like everyone knows like a marathon time or like a, yeah. like a half marathon time but like I wouldn't have any idea what's like a really good 100 kilometer time I don't need yeah and it totally depends like is it a flat course or is it a mountain course and then like you can't even compare the two um which is nice it like takes some level of expectation and pressure off yeah definitely and it, even in the longer races as well with trail it's like everyone talks about how it's like staying comfortable as well so like it's like this different this whole different type of race to a marathon I guess a marathon you're kind of staying comfortable but like most road races, you're kind of in the pain cave pretty early on, whereas trail, I expect it would be later. But um, yeah, I mean, I really want to get more into trail running because I think I totally relate to you being like tracks, the hyper competitive roads, like in the middle and then trails, like this, like fun, exciting um, mm-hmm. type of running. Um, but I just have really bad ankles. So <laughs> oh, no. you could do a flat one or like just a non-technical trail race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually did one. I did one not, not um at the beginning of this year. It was it was really fun. I did enjoy it. Um, you are very fun. <laughs> and you mentioned before you studied engineering. Um, mm-hmm. 
And we're not sure if you're doing or have done your master's in sustainable natural resources. Are you finished or are you currently doing Almost. That? I just have the thesis left and I'm, I put it on pause. I'm like waiting for a stroke of genius on what to write the thesis on because I kind of had no ideas. Um, so I'm hoping that will come along at some point so I can finish it off. Love it. How do you find how do you find a time to fit it all in? And you obviously are passionate about a lot of things. How do you prioritize with all of those yeah, aspects of your life? Um I guess, yeah, just balance and making sure you're not overdoing one area. And I almost feel like having multiple things helps me not put too much into running or spend too much time doing training. Cause I could see myself definitely if I had free reign of a day training for like eight hours a day, which like isn't productive and probably won't make me any faster. So having other interests and ways to feel fulfilled has been a way for me to find balance um, in my life. And yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive, like having more helps me, but that's how it has been. (laughs) I feel that so much. I, I think I lived the professional athlete life for about maybe eight to 12 months of you know and I got so bored (laughs) and I just like put so much pressure on my running and expectation on my results that I ended up actually bombing in a marathon trying to qualify for world champs and it like cut me so bad um I like almost lost myself because I just couldn't see my love for running beyond my results and it's almost ruined my relationship with running and so that's when I was like no I need to like work and do other things alongside training um for the sake of my like keeping my relationship with running alive Mm -hmm. totally makes sense you also have a journal company do you want to tell us a little bit about your journals and why journaling's been so important for you yeah yeah so they're daily planners and training logs each day has a training log half in a training or daily planner half. Um, And the idea was that I always had two. I always have a training log and then I was always carrying a daily planner around as well. And I kind of wanted everything in one spot, not only for convenience, but also because um, when you have multiple things going on in life, training doesn't happen in a vacuum. So if you have a really busy day at work or school and you're stressed, that can affect training because stress is stress and being able to see that side by side and visualize like just how much stress I'm putting on my body both in training and outside of it was a helpful training tool um and that also includes like habit trackers and daily mileage trackers and things so you can see your habits and like maybe your mileage went up and then you felt tired three days later and then you're like well that's why um and track like maybe sleep with that too or I track cross training as well so that I can see like hours of training too and it's not all in miles just like yeah to give yourself a better idea of a more holistic sense of what you're doing in your life and how to kind of move forward with it and then the last four years have included mental health prompts um mentors like kind of check-ins and I don't expect people to journal a whole bunch if they don't want to but even if they just like ponder the question it's kind of a check-in because I was thinking this is something I do so why not share this with people and mental health is just as important to life and training um, so why don't we put this in here too and then there's like some fun pages in the back and I did add my race day ABC goals as well last year so people 
can like have their own ABC goal worksheet for each race um, and kind of go through that process and hopefully help you with better race outcomes too. But it's been fun and just kind of a fun way for me to connect with the running community outside of races and social media and a way to kind of like relate to people on the most basic levels because uh, everyone does all these things, even professionals down to the person that's just starting. So yeah, it's been a fun journey and we're on year six now coming up. Wow, so cool. We'll um, definitely tag your journals into our show notes for people to check them out, but it's awesome to see. I think, you know, treating athletes the same, no matter, like you said, if they're a beginner or they're an elite, I think it's really important. We all need the same things at the end of the day and we all run for the same reasons, which is mostly for our mental health as well. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely tag them into the show notes. You're currently going through some pretty challenging times with your own health and we're happy for you to not go into it if you don't want to, but we <laughs> assume you also have some pretty big and ambitious goals on the cards. What is ahead for you? Yeah, I guess, well, figuring out what's going on is step one, just so I can get back to training because I really haven't been able to train for, this is week 15 now. Um, which is the longest I've ever gone, I think, without being able to train. And so figuring that out is step one. And then I think once we can get to like a stable place with the health and treatments and kind of understand um, how to move forward, then we'll kind of look at goals. But because the timeline's so fuzzy right now, I don't know that I have immediate ones. But I definitely, like in 2025, I would like to go back to Worlds to defend the title um, and it's also in a place I've already run on a course I've run. So that's kind of fun. Um, gives me a little leg up as well. So yeah, I think right now we're kind of in the wait and see, but I'm hopeful that maybe I can get in some races end of this year and, uh, move towards maybe some road stuff next year as well. Uh, we'll see. How exciting. I feel like they should have the World Mountain Running Champs in New Zealand. I don't think they've had them there before, but it would be a pretty cool place to race. That's on my bucket list. I was actually looking at Tarawera in February. That's really long for me. I've never run that long before, but um, 50K, it's only 30 miles, 31 miles. <laughs> they, they have some shorter races. I guess did the 20K, right? Yeah, that's the one that I did. That's the one. Oh, okay. That would be a really fun one. I've heard it's really you should, cool. You should come. That'd be awesome. I really want to. Yeah. Actually, New Zealand is our top honeymoon location pick. Well, if you so, need any tips, we are your girls. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. We just have uh, two quick fire questions for you. Actually, before we get into the two quick fire questions, I just wanted to ask you, what is it like to call yourself a world champ? um it's weird <laughs> I feel like it it took two to like kind of sink in after the first one I didn't really want to say it to anyone and after the second one I'm a little more comfortable but I don't really say it very often usually other people are saying it like for me if I was you I would be wearing a t-shirt every day just <laughs> walking around you should rock it <laughs> Love it. All right, we'll jump into those quick fire questions now. Um, last two. So if you had any advice for your younger self, say 15-year-old self, what would it be? Probably what I said earlier, but don't specialize too early. And 
keep being an athlete, like be a lifelong athlete, whatever like movement that means, just keep being an athlete. I love that. And then the last one is um, quite a big quick fire question. (laughs) What is your purpose on Mother Earth? Mm, I don't know if I know yet or if I'll ever know, but I think the purpose is kind of finding it out or figure the journey to figuring it out. Um, and, and like the values you pick up along the way and share with people. Cause I don't know if anyone ever fully knows. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> the ever evolving beast, I think, but uh, <laughs> we love that. And thank you so much for your time. I love this conversation so much. We know our, our audience are going to absolutely love it as well. So we will tag Grayson into our show notes. So you can definitely go along and give her a follow, follow her journey to hopefully her next world champion title. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Grayson. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Bimmy Pod. If you have any feedback or questions, head to our Instagram at bimmy.co or to our website bimmy.co. Thanks again for tuning in. Esther and I will be back in your ears next week.